0: Thank you, Paul. And before I start speaking, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do, we do always want to thank you for the Bible, for your word. And as we read these accounts, which may be very familiar to some of us, we pray, Lord, that you would speak afresh to us this morning. We pray that we would all hear your word and we would all respond as we should. Amen. Gentle, Jesus, meek and mild. Gentle, Jesus, meek and mild. That's how the famous uh, children's prayer begins. And let me suggest that is many people's image of Jesus. Is that yours? Many people see Jesus as simply a good bloke, a nice man, kind, docile, unassuming, a sort of guy, who is good with the kids. Well, today, as you sit here in church, or perhaps watch uh, via the live stream, is that your picture of Jesus Christ? Simply gentle and kind, meek and mild. Well, let's set the scene for today. So if you were here on the first Sunday of the year, Tom uh, spoke about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's the account we uh, normally hear about on Palm Sunday when the crowds, they spread their cloaks on the road or others spread branches from the trees. And as the crowds welcomed Jesus, they rejoiced at his arrival and they shouted words of praise, Hosanna, Hosanna. So Jesus He's come to town as a humble servant. He's come as a good and nice man who surely wouldn't say boo to a goose. Is that your view of Jesus? Well, today as we move forward in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has indeed arrived on a donkey. But that doesn't mean he's come quietly. Please don't be misled by the docile donkey. Jesus is humble, but he's not soft. He's not spineless. Indeed, if you think that Jesus is only meek and mild, then today might well be a real shock for you. Verse 12. Jesus enters the temple, which by itself is a significant event, the first time in Matthew's Gospel that we hear of Jesus doing this, going into the temple area. It's in verse 12. Now, having earlier been greeted with praise by the crowds, how would you expect Jesus to do? What would you expect him to do as he wanders in? Perhaps you'd expect him to be like a a politician seeking uh, election so you might expect him to walk in with a broad smile on his face, wave a bit, shake a few hands, perhaps pick up a few babies and kiss them. surely Jesus should just move through the temple, responding in kind, being grateful for the nice kind words that people shouted to him when he arrived into Jerusalem. Well, there's a shock there isn't there in verse 12? What does actually happen? Jesus entered the temple courts. And what does he do? He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Where's gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Jesus goes, I suppose the phrase would be ballistic. He's turning over tables, whether he's doing so with his hands or maybe even kicking them over. He's scattering money, causing a massive commotion, no doubt, for all to see. These actions show anger. But that's not anger towards the people themselves, but it's anger of what they are doing. They're making the temple into the phrase he uses in verse 13, a den of robbers according to verse 13 it is written he said to them my house notice he says my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers why is jesus so angry well back in the old testament the word of god came to the prophet jeremiah god was angry And had the perfect right to be angry at that time. God was angry then at the false religion being practiced by the people. God's judgment was upon their false religion. So God instructed the prophet Jeremiah to stand at the temple gate. And demand that God's people reform their ways and actions. He called the people to stop trusting in deceptive and worthless words. Let me just read a couple of those verses uh, for you from Jeremiah chapter 7. God says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods that you have not known? And then you come and stand before me in this house which bears my name, and you say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers? And you know, within a generation of when Jeremiah spoke, the temple was destroyed. God's judgment was seen. His righteous anger against their sin. The temple is rebuilt. But now, yet again, God is right to be angry at what his people are doing. Jesus goes into the centre of Jewish society. He goes to the heart of the place where, where faith and love should be shown. He goes to the temple built as the symbol of where God's presence dwelt with his people This was the one place that was supposed to be used for the sole purpose of worshipping God as people pray and praise the Lord Almighty. But what's happened? The temple was now a place of shady business. It had become a dirty marketplace with bird cages and other animals being bought and sold for sacrifices at over-the-top prices. And to pay the temple taxes, you needed that local uh, temple currency. And that would cost you an arm and a leg from those money changes. Huge profits were being made by corrupt people. It was probably very busy as Jesus entered because the Passover was approaching. So basically the temple was no longer the place it should have been. Once more, God's anger, his judgment, was upon this false religion. And this leads to the the first point I'm really trying to major on this morning. You see, God longs for prayerful, praising people, but Jesus just finds false religion. God longs for prayerful, praising people, but Jesus just finds false religion. It's right for God to be angry. It is righteous anger that Jesus shows so publicly towards these people who are just profiteering through religion, proving that their hearts are really just full of ways to cash in and exploit the crowd, to take advantage of those who went to the temple to pray and offer sacrifices. God's temple can rightly be called a den of robbers, because it's full of people effectively stealing from the temple goers. And so Jesus drives them out. He effectively cleanses the temple, in a sense, in the same way that a wound needs to be healed. Jesus is demonstrating the judgment of God, which is upon the false religion which Jesus finds. And does that picture of Jesus shock you? Perhaps it should if you think of him just as meek and mild. Now afterwards, if you'd, if you'd witnessed that anger on display, you might feel very awkward to go straight up to Jesus. I'm sure we've all witnessed someone who's uh, got annoyed at something or someone, and the natural reaction is probably, look, oh, give them some space, don't we? We step back, let them, t- let them uh, cool down. But verse 14 records that the blind and the lame came to Jesus and immediately there's no sign of any lingering anger as Jesus does what he heals them there's children also around aren't there in the temple children who what are they doing they're shouting praise to Jesus again singing out those words hosanna hosanna but instead of joining in the celebration in these wonderful things as described in verse 15, what are the authorities doing? They've become indignant, haven't they, at the end of verse 15. But why? Why were they indignant? Well, perhaps the religious authorities thought that it was blasphemy for those children to be making such a claim of Jesus. Maybe they were offended. So effectively, they're saying to Jesus, why don't you stop them? But what's Jesus' response in verse 16? Uh, When he's asked, do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Jesus replies, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have have called forth your praise? Jesus is quoting here from Psalm 8, words which ought to be familiar to the religious leaders, the religious leaders who ought to know their scriptures. These were words of praise, praise to the Lord God who is majestic throughout all the earth. These children in the temple are acknowledging Jesus for who he is. Yet the religious leaders don't see it, maybe they just don't want to see it. Indeed, isn't it ironic that the religious leaders are complaining about people praising God in the very place built for praising God? It was the purpose of the temple. And these kids are just doing what what we are all called to do and is to acknowledge Jesus for who he is, to give praise to the Lord God. And so, verse 17, Jesus left them and he moved on. He spends the night in a place called Bethany. And you know, if you know your history, within a generation of these words being said, in AD 72, the temple was destroyed. God's anger, his righteous judgment was once again seen. You see, God longs for prayerful, praising people but Jesus just finds false religion, corrupt, hypocritical religion in the temple. So God's judgment will be upon this fruitless house. Well, how do we respond when we uh, hear this account? Let me suggest, do not take things too literally. So when you next visit the cathedral, do not trash the gift shop, okay? This also is not uh, an anti capitalist uh, protest. This is a warning of judgment against fruitless religion. So let us be the people God wants us to be. Let us be people who acknowledge Jesus, who speak to others about Jesus. Let us be prayerful people who take everything to our Lord in prayer. Let us be people who declare his praises in whatever situations we are placed and with whoever God puts next to us. We move forward, don't we, into the next day in verse 18, where early in the morning, Jesus is hungry on his way back into Jerusalem. So where's breakfast for Jesus? Now apparently there's about 200 McDonald's in London and it's suggested you're never about 10 minutes away from a store and we can prove it here, can't we? If you turn left and just walk towards the high street, that won't take you more than 10 minutes and you'll find the local MACDs. But they hadn't been opened yet, had they? And Jesus wanted his breakfast and neither was Uber Eats available for him. Instead Jesus sees this fig tree. He sees a fig tree in leaf which means the tree was full of promise. It was showing good, positive outward signs. Jesus therefore expected to find breakfast on that tree. But he didn't. And what's his reaction in verse 19? It seems slightly extreme, doesn't it? He turns to the tree and says, May you never bear fruit again. Again, this seems to show a different side to gentle, meek, and mild Jesus. As anger once again appears to dominate his actions, as the tree does indeed immediately wither. May you never bear fruit again. Was Jesus just hungry? Or is there perhaps more to what uh, might appear? And let me strongly suggest these two events are Parallel stories, specifically recorded next to one another by Matthew to help teach who is Jesus and what he came to do. Now in the Old Testament, the fig tree had been used as a symbol of the Jewish church in the same way the people of God are called the vineyard as well, places where fruit was meant to be found, where the owner went to and looked for fruit. But in vain, the nation of God is found to be without fruit. And although God had lavished his love, and on the outside they may have looked the part, they looked full of promise. In reality, they were empty and bare. So, despite all the ceremonies they went through, all the things they observed, there was no substance to their faith, no real and sincere worship of God, no fruit. And it is so, and it is a symbol against the nation when Jesus curses this fig tree. And now the fig tree stands, doesn't it, as a, as a monument of unbelief? and of God's rightful, his rightful and just punishment. Now when the disciples saw the withered tree, they're amazed, aren't they, and asked, how did this happen so quickly? And then Jesus answers with words in verses 21 and 22. He says to them, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus wants us to have the kind of faith that is real, a faith that works, a faith that does great things as we trust upon, a great God who can do anything for us if it is his will. Alone we cannot do anything, but we have power through God. And the way we access God's power is through prayer. Jesus' illustration of the fig tree shows the power of God. And he speaks about the access to that power, prayer. The faithful will bear fruit God's house of prayer is no longer the temple, but the church, not the building, but the people who believe in Jesus and come together in prayer. God has called us to be part of something greater than just our salvation. God calls us to be a community, to do his work for his glory, to share life together. In God's great hope, he wants us to share his love with the whole world. Now, Jesus' statement here to the disciples is a powerful promise. It's one that can also be easily misunderstood. Jesus is not a form of vending machine that you get whatever you ask for. Otherwise, Norwich would have won the Premier League by now, wouldn't they? And England would hold the ashes. Well, Jesus tells the disciples they will receive anything they ask for, but only if they have faith. That means they need to trust in God, to trust in God, and his power to do what God wants to do. God is in control. God is good. We need to just trust that he is. It means our prayers need to be in alignment with the will of God, and when they are, we'll have a better understanding of the power of prayer. Again, it it does not mean using the creator as the means for absolute everything, but it means we should not be afraid to ask the God of the impossible. But it also does not mean that our faith is somehow substandard when we pray something, but we do not receive what we ask for in prayer. Many people Wrongly believe their faith is somehow lacking when a particular prayer is not answered in the exact way they desire. It is painful, isn't it, seeing a loved one go downhill with some form of illness. We pray for their healing. It doesn't necessarily happen. But part of asking in faith is trusting God to do what is most fitting with his loving purpose for us and for the world. We just need to realize that God is doing that all the time. And at the same time, let us never lose our trust that God does answer prayers. He especially answers prayers, which to us are impossible. It was a four-day trek for us to climb up Machu Picchu last, uh, last year. And the highest point of that trek was over 4,200 meters a place called dead woman's pass which some might say was appropriate but no it's not because of dead women being there but it's just because it looks like that from a distance it was hard for us going up there there were times when i wanted that mountain to be moved please to the sea or certainly to be flattened a lot please but god chose not to do so you know looking back i'm glad he didn't Otherwise, I can't stand here smugly and say I'm an Inca warrior for having completed the uh, Inca trail. We know, we acknowledge that God has the power to do anything. Our creator God, who placed the mountains where they are, he does have the power to move them. And indeed, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is in work within us. And so to him be glory now and throughout all generations. Well, as we draw to a close today, these events speak of fruit. They speak of judgment. We might prefer the picture of Jesus to be simply meek and mild, but these events show us an angry Jesus, but not a wild, uncontrollable person. Instead, a righteous, measured, and appropriate anger. God remains angry at sin, at our rebellion against him. God longs for prayerful, praising people. But Jesus just found false religion in that temple place. And God's judgment, his righteous and measured anger, will be against this fruitless house. We don't need a temple anymore, do we? We don't need to go to a special place to pray to God. We go to a person now. Through Jesus, we can pray anywhere, at any time, to our loving Saviour who was en route to the cross when he cursed the fig tree, when he overturned these tables in the temple. And on the cross... Jesus took upon himself all the judgment we deserved. God longs for fruitful, faithful people. No fake religion where on the outside there are leaves on the tree, but there's no fruit to be found. So God's judgment, his righteous anger, is to wither and curse that fig tree. Or well today, let it be our aim to be people God wants us to be. Let us be fruitful. And let's pray now. Heavenly Father, help us, help us please to abolish any false and fake religion within us. May we be the fruitful people you want us to be. May we be prayer warriors and people who declare your praises to all the people we meet amen